It was really, really lovely to hear uh, Lewis talk to us this morning about his trip over to India. And um, the fact that it has an impact on him, it's been so moving for him. And I think that's, it's not unusual whenever we go to a country where there's fewer facilities than the ones that we take for granted or enjoy. Now, when we come back, uh, well, we're there, and when we come back, it's had a, had a deep impression upon us, and it sounds as if, sort of with Lewis and the team, that's certainly the case. I think Lewis sort of highlighted a number of aspects as to why sometimes those trips, whether they're short or long, have such a deep impact on us. Sometimes it's because we see suffering up close and personal. We see the fragility of life up close and personal. And also as well, as Lewis said, often it's because we see the sheer joy in people's lives. We see their resilience and their strength and their depth of relationships. And sometimes we're left asking the question, how can people who have so little be so happy? Years ago, when I was in my early 20s, a friend and I went out to see a missionary couple who were, well, two missionary couples. One were living in Nairobi in Kenya, on the outskirts, they were teachers and the head in a primary school. And uh, another couple were from Lurgan, and they were out in the sticks. And I mean, they were really out in the sticks. They were, they were 14 hours drive from Nairobi. And the first 11 of those were on roads, and the last three or four of those were just across the country with no roads at all. So they're really out in the sticks. And uh, they were there to help people to grow their own produce, to rely less on foreign aid, and to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, it was a real privilege to spend a week with them. And one of the things I'll never forget from that trip, and that's probably nearly 30 years ago for me, is that I was showing around a, a newly built house by a young man who was just beaming from ear to ear, by the fact that he had this new abode that was made of clay with a corrugated iron roof. I don't even think it had a door. Uh, he only had a handful of possessions, and uh, he, he just was elated that he had a roof over his head, and he showed me around the house and, and inside the house. I don't remember there being any furniture. I don't remember there being any spare clothes. There was certainly no heat or electricity or water or gas or sewage. It was simply just a round clay building with a corrugated iron roof. But this guy was really, really chuffed and proud, and he just showed me round his house. It didn't take long to have a look round. And the question that I found myself asking, either out loud or subconsciously, was that question, how can someone who has so little be so happy? But as I've reflected on that, I realize that the question has much more to say about me than it does about that young man. Because the, the presupposition behind that question is that you have to have lots of stuff to be happy. So whenever we ask that question, how can someone who has so little be so happy? It says more about us than it does about them. As Lewis was saying, a family living in a space no bigger than a family car and a new baby is born. Are they, are they raging because there's another mouth to feed? Are they raging because there's even less space for them? They're absolutely ecstatic 
because a baby has been born. They're just delighted that God has given them the gift of new life. I think what we're learning, certainly what I'm learning and thinking and praying about this whole series of rhythms of God's grace is that less is more when God's involved. We live in a society where we believe that more is more. And we believe that uh, it isn't necessarily spoken aloud, but I think a strong influence and belief in our society is that if something can be consumed, then we should consume it. If it can be had, then we should have it. It's the, it's the more is more adage. But this, this number of weeks when we're looking at fasting is actually, and simplicity before that, is all, and, and rest before that, it's all about the fact that actually less is more whenever God's involved. Last week we looked at that wonderful passage from Matthew chapter 4 about Jesus in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. A a tremendous fast that he must, uh, we can only imagine, have spent years and years and years building up to. Very few people in history have tried that type of fast. 40 days and 40 nights. Yes, drinking water, I'm sure, but the Bible tells us he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights from food. It's pretty much as long as the human body can go and stay alive. And we're thinking, why would Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, do that? And the first temptation we looked at last week told us the answer. Jesus disciplined himself to say no to the good thing of food so that he could have greater strength to say no to the temptation of the devil. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do it? And the reading we had today that Johnson read for us is, it's a compression, it's a a summary of some of the main teachings of Jesus introduced just by the gospel writer Matthew, the former tax collector, also known as Levi. And he, he compresses part of the teaching of Jesus into what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters uh, six, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And the reading we had today lies at the very heart of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. And in it, he lists three activities. Jesus teaches three activities which are about how to follow in his footsteps. And they're the ones that probably look most like religious activities of anything in his whole talk. And they're all linked together by a common theme. I wonder if you spotted it whenever Johnson was reading it. Doing good things secretly. And the three activities are giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. And with each one, Jesus used similar phraseology. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And the main theme running through it all is don't tell anybody about it. Don't blow a trumpet. Do your very, very best to let nobody know. Because if you do that, then it'll be between you and your father. And that will reap all sorts of rewards because you will go into a deeper place with the Father. And that ultimately is what fasting is about. As a Christian community, as a Western church over the last number of hundred years, 
perhaps even in the last thousand or so years, we have often triumphed the importance of prayer and giving, but there's a third aspect to the teaching of Jesus that we have almost completely forgotten. Fasting. And actually, in a world that believes that anything that could be consumed should be consumed, this is perhaps the most one of the most powerful things about what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's no wonder that it's something that we, over the last couple of hundred years, have virtually forgotten about, is it because it absolutely flies in the face of societal understanding as to what's important. Society says more is more. Jesus says less is more. And the, and the reason, the rationale behind doing this is because we... Jesus is showing us that there are eternal consequences. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What will your father do? He will reward you with his very presence, his very self, with his Holy Spirit. Because the reality of fasting is that although there's lots of different reasons to fast, there's good ones, there's, there's Sober for October by Macmillan Cancer Care to raise money, it's very good, very good cause. It's a fasting exercise. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways to, to fast, to for health reasons or to raise money, but the reason for Christian fasting is to grow closer to the Father, to become more like Jesus Christ. It's about saying no to good things so that we can have more God things. So Jesus said no to good things like bread, like food, in order to have more of God the Father in order to become more powerful in the Holy Spirit, in order to continue, as Hebrews says, to grow in maturity, to grow in perfection. As the Bible tells us, Jesus did throughout his life, he was continually growing, continually maturing. Jesus Christ, the only fully mature human being who has ever lived. And how did he train himself? By giving, by fasting, and by praying. Jesus taught himself to say no to good things, to have more of God things. So whenever a, a newborn baby arrives, they tend to let us know pretty quickly when they want something. It could be to do with food, sleep, nappy, burping, you know the possible list of about five things that come to mind. It takes you a while to work out that it's just going to be one of those five things probably. Whenever the child cries at first, do we say no? The child cries for sleep or for food. We virtually immediately respond to their cry for help. But as time goes on, we don't immediately say yes. And then when it arrives at about sort of toddler age, probably we deliver that word which is earth-shattering to any human being. <laughs> two, little, two little letters. Any parents of young children know it well? No. And for years, it becomes the most important word in your world. And the toddler, in fact, learns the word so quickly that it just starts to say no straight away to absolutely everything. But why do we say no? We say no because we love the child. 
and we want the child to thrive. So when the child goes, ah, 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 I want that sharp knife you're cutting vegetables with, what do we say? No, you can't have it. Or whenever the child grabs a toy off another child in nursery, we say, naughty, don't do that. You don't grab toys off other children. And we say it because we love them. And gradually as the child grows, we teach them to say no to themselves. Because we won't always be with them. And so if we don't want them to steal or to abuse people around them or to eat all the food at the party, we have to teach them to say no to themselves. Fasting is learning as a Christian mature believer to say no to yourself. And to say no because you love God and because you love yourself. And whenever we start to fast, fasting may feel a lot different than love. But the spiritual disciplines of abstinence are actually expressions of love towards ourselves and towards God. You see, in modern society, our propensity to, to satiate all of our appetites is absolutely destroying us. It's destroying us mentally. It's destroying us physically with diseases. It's destroying the environment. It's destroying relationships. Saying yes to ourselves over everything is causing destruction. It's causing crime. It's causing the destruction of society. Do you see how important it is for us to learn to say no to ourselves? There are a number of ways to say no to ourselves, and we touched on these last week. There are a number of disciplines of abstinence. There's abstinence from people, which is called solitude. There's abstinence of silence, which is abstinence from conversation. There's abstinence from spending, which is called frugality. And there's good old-fashioned fasting from food. There are lots of different ways to say no to ourselves. And for each of us, there's probably different ones that actually challenge us and are actually more beneficial for each of us in our lives. The thing to do is to try them and to see which ones are most beneficial. The result of doing that, as Dallas Willard said, was the, is this. Fasting teaches us I've forgotten completely what he said. What did he say? What did Dallas, what did Dallas, let's check what Dallas Willard said. Let's look up what Dallas Willard said. Fasting teaches us to be sweet and strong when we don't get what we want. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in a way by himself. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
and the disciples are nearby. And he said to them, watch and pray with me so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And even though they're close by, he has a very solitary task. And it's a bit like jumping forward from the time in the desert with the devil to another place, which is at night with 11 apostles around him. And he's in a garden that the disciples are all used to coming to. Judas is out there somewhere in the darkness, betraying him. One of his closest friends, he knows as he prays, at that very moment is giving him away. He's selling him. And yet he remains in a garden that he knows Judas is familiar with. You see, you and I are here today because Jesus trained himself And I believe fasting was a really important part of this. He trained himself to do the ultimate fast. And that's what Gethsemane is about. Because the ultimate fast is overcoming the ultimate and basic good human desire to stay alive. Fasting from TV or from shopping or from food or from conversation or people, they're challenging things. But being willing to abstain from life itself is the ultimate fast. Especially because you have no control to break your fast. Because you'll be dead. And Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, then your will be done. In other words, he was saying, I am willing to override the fear that is in me of suffering and death. I am willing to fast, Father, even from life itself. And Jesus Christ did that for you and for me. He knew that his suffering and death would be unlike any other one. He knew that the level of spiritual agony that he alone would carry would be down to carrying every single human passion, all good passions, but human passions that we have twisted and used for selfish purposes. Every single way that our passions have burst their banks in the places they should never have gone, Jesus Christ carried on the cross for us. But you and I are here today because the Father broke the fast of the Son. You see, fasting is about entering into a deeper place of trust with the Father. It's refusing in those moments where we know our tendency is to say, I feel tired or I feel hungry or I feel lonely and I feel in need. And we probably have three or four go-to things. One, TV. Number two, food. Number three, shopping. 
we have a lot of go-to things, and each of us will have different problems with different ones of them, and there are others. Those are good things. But fasting is about becoming increasingly spiritual aware of what's happening. The disciples weren't aware of the struggle that was going on. Only Jesus was. You and I have the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to grow closer to the Father, to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, more aware of His presence, to become more sensitive to the fact that that as we fast, as we say no to ourselves, we will come face to face with our faults and our fears. And that's why fasting and prayer always go together. Because what fasting does, whether it's solitude or silence or from food or frugality, whatever it happens to be, it will bring us face to face with the worst part of ourselves. And so in that place, as we seek God, we just say, God help me, I am a miserable sinner. Because in the emptiness that we engineer, we realize that there is only one who can satisfy our deepest needs, and that is God the Father. But only one person ever trusted the Father fully, the Son who was willing to say, Father, this night I am willing to start fasting, and I'm willing to start fasting from my own life. And I trust that you will break my fast. That's trust. And you and I have the opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, to learn to be like him, to trust the Father. And that is the place where all sorts of good things come from, where the sweetness and strength that Dallas Willard talks about come from. Because in that place, we become increasingly simple in the way we live our lives. A new humility arises because we've realized the depth of our feelings. A new joy arises within us, and a new peace overwhelms us. It's all about moving in the rhythms of God's grace. It's all about doing what Jesus did. And in the heart of probably his most famous talk, he identified three things, three ways that we can learn to be like him, to do good things secretly, giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Why? Because we love the Father and we love ourselves.